Hello and welcome back to the newest episode of the Pool Cleaner Hour. I'm your host, Tinkerbuff, and for the next little bit, I'll be filling your mind with some ramblings as you lounge in your mind's pool to relax and cool off or heat up, whichever you'd like to do. It's your pool, and I'm just here to make it cozy. Today, we're going to be talking about the Ohio melon heads, which are, <laughs> which is a uh, cryptid that isn't talked about a whole lot, and you probably have never heard of unless you live in either Ohio, Connecticut, or Michigan, which is um, an interesting span for these two adapt in. But uh, let's dive right in. Since the 1950s, sightings of strange humanoid creatures have been spotlighted by the public in Kirtland, Ohio. On dark and stormy nights, tales of feral children with gigantic heads are known to roam the woods with beady red eyes and sharp fangs. Still to this day, people claim to see these strange creatures in sometimes just strange tracks or mutilated animal remains. So are they beasts? Are they government experiments? Or the product of a mad scientist? Well, the most common theory revolves around the unhinged madman, Dr. Crow. This bro is said to have lived in a secluded house within Kirtland, Ohio, which is an eastern suburb of Cleveland. Some legends say that he was married and that his wife was unable to have children, but others claim that the crows had a child who suffered from hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain. This caused the child to be horrendously deformed. On top of this, the mad doctor was told to be a caretaker of many unfortunate orphans, even though he was kind of openly known as being the insane doctor. Uh, Dr. Crow is also said to have performed illegal abortions within a secret cabin. He would bury the remains around the property, and now the basement of that same cabin, which is still there to this day, is said to be filled with the disembodied wailing of those infants. When traveling to this cabin, there is also a bridge that is known as Cry Baby Bridge, which serves as a warning of terrors to come. Regardless of whether he had his own children or not, Dr. Crow would begin ghastly experiments. It was never officially declared whether these experiments were to help get rid of the deformities of the children, or if he was the one in fact causing the deformities. These experiments included injecting and draining various fluids into the heads of the children, making them mindless and unable to fight back. Dr. Crow spent years locking children in cages and filling their heads with sometimes just plain water to make their flesh and bones expand. He kept the cages in a barn until one night, under mysterious circumstances, the barn was burnt down. The doctor, his wife, and his laboratory were burnt to ash and the melon-headed children vanished into the woods. The second most popular origin is that the government had performed secret testing on mentally challenged children that were taken from their homes or asylums, people that were deemed more or less to not be missed. After the government inevitably failed in whatever experiment they were doing, they came to Dr. Crow. 
In this version, the town knew the doctor to be a very good and kind-hearted man who happily took in unfortunate children. In this version, he wasn't married, he had no kids of his own, but he was obsessive over his work. He tried to find cures for their disabilities and deformations, but tragedy took place when the doctor died of natural causes. Having no one to care for them, the Melonheads went into a rage. They burned everything down, and they fled into the woods. There are countless stories of people seeing Melonheads running across roads, staring blankly at cars driving by, or catching quick glimpses through the woods. A common theme is people trying to follow them and getting stopped by police who keep the area of beings guarded off from the public. Just kind of like, hey, leave them be, guys. They're just, they're just, they're just weird kids. Uh, for the most part, they're considered a harmless anomaly. But when a full moon is coming or is in the sky, it's best to stay away from the woods in Kirtland, Ohio. So... If you've worked any form of retail or customer service, you've either heard or experienced the weirdness that can happen around full moons. At the very least, we've all had a coworker go, oh man, it must be a full moon out tonight or something. In fact, I said that today. This isn't just a reference to werewolves, nor just the throwaway old world cliche to explain lunacy. So let's go on a little bit of a tangent here. The Roman goddess of the moon, which is named Luna, uh, was purposely used as a prefix to the word lunatic. Greek philosopher Aristotle suggested that the brain was the moistest organ in the body and therefore, thereby most susceptible to the gravitational pull of the moon, the same as what triggers the ocean tides. This belief not only persisted but was enhanced in mania throughout Europe during the Middle Ages, when humans were thought and generally accepted to be at risk of turning into a werewolf or even a vampire during any full moon. There have been numerous studies, and it's still a high topic of debate whether the moon really affects the brain or not. Given that people are, what, like 80% water, it's an easy theory to give into, but most scientists have come to the conclusion that it's more so something we can kind of call illusionary correlation. Uh, this term is about the perception of an association that does not in fact exist. For example, uh, people like myself who have exasperated joint pain during rainy weather, although research tells us there's no real correlation between the two. Uh, and even nurses who work with challenging patients would insist that the lunar cycles had a clear effect on the occurrences in the hospital. Uh, as myself, again, I've worked in mental health centers, and definitely I would say around the full moon, things would be cranked up to 11. But, uh, illusionary correlation can result in part from our brain's natural inclination to recall interesting events rather than non-events. So basically, uh, selective memory. When there's a full moon and something strange happens, we usually notice it, and we notice the moon. We're basically raised from birth to, uh, connect the full moon with things that are scary. You know, we're already told that the full moon can have spooky causation, so we tell others about it, and it continues that legacy. You know, every horror movie, every cartoon, uh, basically anything you see, if there's a full moon, it's either going to be horror-related or it's going to enhance some sort of romantic aspiration. Either way, you see a full moon, you connect it with things. 
Uh, that being said, the melon heads, I mean, they're totally attacking and eating people during the full moon. So we can just declare that as a thing. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's been decades, with sightings still being reported in online forums. The beings have reproduced, passing on their deformities, their mania, and their need to survive. There's similar beings in Michigan and Connecticut, as I was saying before, which leads many to believe it was a government stage deployment, and they scattered maybe hundreds of experimented children throughout the entire country. Which, when you start looking into all the secret things the government has done, it's really not that crazy to think that they would deform a bunch of kids and just release them. Like, I mean, in later episodes, I'll get into some of that stuff, but the government just did things to people they would just take uh minorities they would just take people that they thought society wouldn't miss and they would just do experiments on them or they'd steal parts from them or various other horrific things uh, but let's go to connecticut i've never been there in real life but i would like to i've only heard good things about it uh but in connecticut the origin of the melon heads is more so along the lines of just an inbred family, but they're a family of witches that have been isolated in the woods or deep mountain folk with ties all the way back to escaped slaves. But all the same, it's always the children that are seen with these razor claws, teeth, and red eyes. Sometimes their abilities shift from just gawking to, uh, to uh, carjacking in the 1980s. Although in this state, no one is said to have been savagely attacked or eaten as opposed to the ones in Ohio. Uh, the ones in Connecticut, a lot more chill, more so just kind of just kind of pranksters. So there's this urban legend about a group of girls who enjoy riding after a football game. And after they won their match, their victory match, the girls all piled into a blue Grand Torino and purposely went to the back roads to playfully search for these alleged mutants. Thinking they spotted something, they pulled their car to the side of the road, leaving the keys in and the lights on. When they walked a little ways around the beaten path, they heard their car door slam. Turning around, they saw the Grand Torino heading towards them. The girls would later report that they saw children inside the vehicle, but the children had gigantic heads, wore rags for clothes, and had orange glowing eyes. Each of these children is laughing maniacally as they peeled away at the stolen vehicle. Uh, and, uh, all I can think of there is... Uh, uh, the critters, you know, the, the furballs with the giant mouths, I don't, that's just what comes to my head. Specifically Critters 3, uh, where they're in the, uh, they're in the kitchen just causing havoc. Like, same energy. Uh, legend says the melon heads are actually still driving around in that blue Grand Torino today. In Connecticut, uh, most of the inspiration could easily be attributed to the local surroundings and landmarks. Central Fairfield County is home to an abandoned Fairfield Hills State Mental Hospital, as well as the uh, Garner Correctional Institution, and in a nearby town to those two spots is a second federal correctional institute, making easy storytelling dough for escaped crazies and murderers. Also, the Melon Heads territory commonly involves a scary and secluded back road. This has led to more than one legend interacting with another over time, and why some actual streets are instead mistakenly referred to as Dracula Drive by some locals. There's actually seven different streets in the area that people will refer to as Dracula Drive, and there's no, um, you know, they all want to declare that 
they're the one. They're the official Dracula drive. But either way, there are these uh, drives where spooky stuff happens. In this same area, uh, there's a similar legend of deformed persons living in obscurity. The Danbury Frog People. Uh, they are a family of shut-ins who are described as having frog-like features. Their eyes are very wide apart, large and bulging. Their lips are incredibly thin and shockingly wide. Directly below there is uh, their small noses that consist purely of thin nostrils. Their heads are abnormally large, not unlike the melon heads. And what's interesting that these are in Connecticut is they're really similar uh, to a frog cryptid in Ohio. So they not only do they share melon heads with Ohio, they share a frog cryptid. In Ohio, this is one of my favorites. It's the Loveland Frogman. Uh, the legend of this giant frog who walks like a man also dates back to the 1950s when a businessman claimed to have seen a small group of these frogs carrying about in a marsh. They looked over at him, paid him no mind, and went back to, I guess, farming mud. <laughs> uh, and when he went to tell somebody, he came back and naturally all these frogmen were gone. Uh, there was a little rock ballad made and people fell in love almost immediately with this four foot tall frogman idea. And even though there's no sightings ever seen again, they were just happy to have this beloved giant frog cryptid, as you would. Uh, but then in 1972, so about 20 some years later, a police officer was driving across the bridge when he thought he spotted a large dead animal on the road. When he stopped out of the car to inspect it, the frogman stood up on his hind legs. The officer, doing what cops do, shot at it without hesitation or second thought. He missed entirely, and the frogman simply gave him a confused look and jumped into the river below. Uh, with this frogman, actually most recently, uh, there's our, our, our old frog boy. He was seen again in 2016, so that's only about five years ago. And this was during the Pokemon Go outing. You remember when Pokemon Go came out and it was the closest to world peace we'd ever been in our entire lives? Well, two Pokemon Masters ran to the news and claimed they saw a giant frog on its hind legs. One of the explorers, Sam Jacobs, said, We saw a huge frog near the water. Not in the game. This was an actual giant frog. I took a couple of pictures and a video because I'd never seen one that big. Then the thing stood up. It walked on its hind legs. I swear on my grandmother's grave, this is the truth, Jacob said. I'm not sure whether it's the frogman or just a giant frog. Either way, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, in 2014, there was a bluegrass musical based off the frogman titled Hot Damn, It's the Loveland Frog, which I unfortunately have not been able to track down a copy of, but I, I desperately want to see it. So let's go up to Michigan. I know no one wants to go to Michigan, but we'll just swing up there real quick. In Michigan, the legend of the Melonheads is generally connected to a place called Felt Mansion, which is a historic three-story mansion built in 1928. It's been used as a school, a chapel, and a police station at various points in its history. Ultimately, though, it fell into disrepair, and by the 90s, it was fully abandoned. This is thought to be when the Melonheads moved in. 
Around this mansion is plenty of woodland with various trails where the hikers claim to have seen the cryptids. There is also rumor of them having an extensive underground tunnel system. Unlike the ones in Connecticut, these are described as being more violent and more cannibalistic, even more so than the ones in Ohio. Uh, these are year-round, auditioning for the next Wrong Turn movie. There's even a uh, Melonhead movie that was made in 2011 about specifically the Michigan ones. Um, it is free on YouTube. It is incredibly low budget and very slow. But it is the only one of its kind. You're not going to find any other uh, Melonhead uh, media, which is, I don't know, is it sad? Because... This came out in the 1950s, right? And everybody knows 50s America wasn't the most pleasant place if you weren't a very specific type of person. So some people have, have kind of theorized that the first melon head to be seen was probably just a young boy with the, uh, with the water head disease where their head, skull was gigantic and he was probably waving at traffic and ran inside and things may have escalated from there um, and just kind of snowballed. And now anytime you hear a twig break or uh, you're out too late, you, you know, you got some melon heads. You can just blame it on that. Who knows? Uh, so should we get a melon head movie? Yes, absolutely. That'd be awesome. Give us the giant, giant heads that can't be supported by their frail bodies with claws like the rake. And I, I mean, I guess it would just be like a cannibal movie. It would just be wrong turn. Uh, or, or the Hills Have Eyes, the remake where, um, now that I think about it. So in the Hills Have Eyes, when the, uh, one guy with the glasses, I cannot remember his name at the moment. He's, he's going up to the nuke town. There is like, there is one of them. They're stuck in like the chair and he's got like the giant head in the back. So in all reality, that would probably it probably wouldn't make for an intimidating monster. I don't think they're going to be fast unless they get enhanced by the full moon. Either way, let me know your thoughts uh, on what do you think the melon heads are and should we continue calling them the melon heads because it feels a little derogatory. That's all I got for this week. I hope you guys have a pleasant rest of your day and I'll see you next Monday.